Welcome to The Real News Network. I'm Paul Jay in Baltimore. Welcome to Reality Asserts Itself. Continuing our discussion with Chris Hedges about the people's movement, the left, its weaknesses, and I guess at some point we better get around to its strengths, too. Now joining us in the studio is Chris Hedges. He's a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and a senior fellow at the Nation Institute. He's the author, with Joe Sacco, of the New York Times bestseller, Days of Destruction, Days of Revolt. He also writes a weekly column for Truthdig. Thanks for joining us again. So you wrote a column in Truthdig. The title of it is Our Invisible Revolution, and you quote, to start with, Alexander Berkman. Did you ever ask yourself how it happens that government and capitalism continue to exist in spite of all the evil and trouble they're causing in the world? And let me add to that, uh, we've had these enormous revelations recently, uh, WikiLeaks and Snowden uh, and Hammond's uh, leaks of the uh, Stratford files. and. Uh, the, you know, it should, one would think, and enough of this has gotten into the mainstream media, you know, enough of the revelations, that you would have had, you'd think, a fundamental shaking of, of masses of people's belief in the American narrative, but not so much. Like, we've not really seen a change in the political landscape at, at the mass scale that one might have thought. Well, this is what Berkman, in this essay, is called The Idea is the Thing is pointing out that as long as the ideas that sustain the power elite have currency or relevancy, the institutions that hold up that system of power are unassailable. Once those ideas are utterly discredited, those institutions collapse. And Berkman draws the analogy of heating water on a kettle, that you can't make a revolution. You can't decide that next Monday is the revolution. Revolutions are, are organic. And they take place through this change within the culture whereby the uh, ideas that sustain uh, a particular ruling class are so thoroughly discredited that um, they uh, that the ruling class is finally only able to sustain itself through the use of force and violence. That it, it's kind of, it, it resorts to the most naked forms of repression to hold on to power, which as you can see with the rise of the security and surveillance state we are moving towards. And so what you have in a pre-revolutionary society, which I think we're in, is a kind of invisible revolution whereby um, the state, the ideology of the state, in this case capitalism, the fiction of American democracy, uh, it, it, larger and larger numbers of people, and I think we are also seeing this across the political spectrum, wake up and understand the hollowness of the language that's used to describe their own economic, political, and social reality. What's important is that in this process you need to present an alternative vision, an alternative language, uh, so that people can orient themselves towards something. Otherwise, any kind of eruption is nihilistic. Uh, it, it, without that kind of vision, ultimately it doesn't represent any kind of a threat to the ruling elite because it doesn't drive towards something. And I think that you know, opinion polls point this out in terms of like the approval rating of Congress, which is below 10%. Um, the utter disgust at the inability of the centers of power to respond to the most basic concerns of needs of the citizenry, all of that is there. Uh, and, and I think that it's incorrect to say that nothing's happening, that there is no ferment. I think this is the ferment. 
and, uh, and it's extremely dangerous uh, for the ruling elite um, because their credibility in Obama, the current uh, disaster with Obamacare is just adding to that, uh, is being shredded. One of your main points in the article, the, Our Invisible Revolution, is this point you're, you're starting to get at. If there isn't some, a vision to fight for, right. one, I don't think can really get people into motion because unless things are in absolute desperation for more people than, than are, because many people are desperate. But it's not the majority that are desperate. Even if unemployment, the real unemployment is 20, 25%, there's still 75% of people who have jobs. But if there isn't a vision to fight for, then, then what are you left with? But what's happening now is there's this, this sort of right-wing vision that's kind of carving right. off a part of this uh, alienation. You know, this idea that smaller government and that we can all be free and we'll all be able to do what we want, you know, uh, individualism, it's a harken back to these days of America that actually never existed. Right. Well, that's a danger. I mean, you know, in, in situations of collapse or turmoil, uh, we could certainly swing to a, our version of a kind of Christian fascism, which I've spent a lot of time writing about in my book, American Fascist, The Christian Right and the War in America. And these are <clears throat> classically fascist movements in that they um, celebrate the language of violence, the gun culture, they fuse the iconography and language of American patriotism with uh, the Christian religion. Uh, they demonize uh, and direct a legitimate sense of rage and betrayal at the vulnerable Muslims, homosexuals, undocumented workers, liberals, intellectuals, feminists. And they are funded by the most retrograde elements of American capitalism, the Koch brothers and others. So, um, and I think given the fact that progressive, populist, radical movements have been eviscerated uh, throughout the 20th century, destroyed, uh, means that those of us who care about an open, egalitarian society are uh, extremely weakened and disadvantaged. So it may very well be that our backlash is a very disturbing kind of quasi-fascist backlash. That indeed may happen. Uh, certainly in breakdown or the breakdown of any society, you are going to see the rise of those kind of vigilante, racist, right-wing elements, and they will employ violence. Um, history has shown that. The question is whether we can build a response with an alternative vision fast enough uh, to counter that kind of implosion. I, you know, I covered the breakdown of the former Yugoslavia, and I see many scenarios between here and the former Yugoslavia. There you had a self-identified liberal elite that was not able to deal with economic collapse. Hyperinflation took over the former Yugoslavia and it vomited up these figures like Radovan Karadzic and Slobodan Milosevic and others in the same way that Weimar vomited up the Nazi party. And what happens in moments of breakdown is that uh, people not only turn against an ineffectual uh, liberal elite that is not able, that in, in, in essence, that is presided over political and economic paralysis, or certainly political paralysis, uh, but they al also jettison the values that elite purports to defend, and that's what's dangerous. Uh, and we're certainly barreling towards that kind of a crisis. Uh, I worry that um, we are not only weakened, but unprepared. Well, one thing we're going to do at The Real News is we're, we're, we're going to spend a little less time 
with the critique. We're not going to stop the critique, but we're going to spend a little less emphasis on the critique and spend a lot more time in terms of investigative journalism and working with you know, policy experts, frontline workers, the public. We're going to have town halls, and that's part of the reasons that we'll tell you more about our new building and what we're doing here. But this idea, and you raise it in, in this article and others, we have to create a, a viable vision of right. what the alternative is. But like, what would you do if you ran a city like Baltimore? Right. What would you ran, do if you ran a state like Maryland? Dealing with the real world, not some utopian vision, right. but if, what do you do the next year and what do you do for the next three, four years? Because I don't think you could really get a big uh, a, a mass movement going in this country if they don't think what they're fighting for is right. at least going to be better right. than what exists. Well, and history has shown that that is absolutely correct. And so I write in the article that I seek to articulate a viable kind of socialism, which is going to have to begin at the local level. Uh, and uh, and I know that you know you're in accordance with this. That we're probably going to have to start by taking over city after city, town after town. That's where it's going to begin. We can't compete on the national level anyway. We're shut out. Ralph Nader has amply illustrated what happens when you try and uh, compete in that arena. Uh, but on the local level, especially in depressed cities, we can. Uh, now the problem with cities like Baltimore or other depressed cities is that you have such a large segment of the population incarcerated. Um, and that's done consciously. That bottom sort of 15% of people who are considered superfluous in terms of labor, um, whose bodies are worth nothing on the street, are put into cages where their bodies are worth forty dollars or $50,000 a year to prison contractors and food contractors and private security guard companies and people who build prisons and everyone else. Um, so uh, that has been a, an effective mechanism by which we have broken our most astute sort of political class, which is the African Americans, who not only traditionally understand the nature of white supremacy and power, but understand the nature of empire. Figures like Frederick Douglass, uh, King, Malcolm, um, their critique of empire came from having suffered internally from the mechanisms of empire. And having the second chapter of my book, Days of Destruction, Days of Revolt, takes place in Camden, which per capita is the poorest city in the United States, and not surprisingly, in terms of homicides, per capita the most dangerous. And um, we're talking two, three, four generations where people have been so traumatized by uh, the violence that has taken place within these internal colonies uh, and the violence of mass incarceration um, that... Uh, I, I don't know how effective those communities initially are going to be, given how broken they are. I think that the recipe for revolt will come from a fusion between uh, what Bakunin called the day class A intellectuals, these kids who burdened with tens of thousands of dollars of college debt, uh, coming largely out of the middle class, thrown out into the workforce where they can't get jobs, they can't pay their debts. Uh, coupled with service workers who are, in essence, the working poor. And I think one of the misconceptions some people have about Baltimore, and it's part, partly to do with the television, the, the percentage of African Americans in Baltimore, if I understand it correctly, who live in these very dispossessed, dispossessed areas and with generation after generation of chronic you know, addiction to drugs and crime is a real minority. 
the real, the vast majority of African, Ameri African Americans in Baltimore are part of a fairly stable working class. That's not true in Camden. So that, that provides hope then. Um, and, you, you know, we find, I don't want this to be racial, because if you look at the meth labs that are popping up in all these old mill towns and where my families are from in Maine, uh, it's the same. And actually, we're watching now uh, the criminalization through the war on drugs uh, of, of the white poor, the white underclass, um, who are now being railroaded into these prisons at increasing rates um, because they've also become superfluous uh, in the neo-feudalistic state that, that we've created. But I think, yes, it's going to come off the ground. It's going to come by stepping outside of the mainstream. It's going to come by articulating a very different vision about how we relate to each other, uh, how we relate to our economic system, uh, and ultimately how we relate to the ecosystem, uh, if we're going to make it. Um, and none of those visions uh, are coming out of uh, traditional centers of academia, traditional political parties, traditional forms of the media. Um, these things are all going to have to be uh, created um, at the margins of society and then implemented at the margins of society, and then hopefully there'll be a kind of contagion uh, where they will spread outwards. And frankly, if they don't, I mean, I just speak as somebody who reads climate change reports, we're finished, we're completely finished. Well, you kind of just talked about the agenda of the real news. Good. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. Yeah, we're in our year-end fundraising campaign, and in 2014, this is essentially what we just, what we just discussed is what we're planning to do. If you'd like to see that happen, we need your support. None of this happens without you. So you've got to click the donate button, which is somewhere around here. If you're watching this video not on the Real News website, down here below the player, you'll see a link that takes you back to our site, and then you can click the donate button, and, uh, or you can pick up the phone. There's all kinds of ways. Thanks for joining us, and uh, again, we can't do this without you.